most months out of the year, and so uh, that's where a number of them are tonight. Um, I remember when the kids were small, our kids were small, we used to watch that animated movie, Aladdin. Remember that? You guys remember that movie? It was one of our favorites for a while. Probably watched it 387 times over the course of however long that was. Remember it has this scene in it, the character was, the genie was, was played by, or the voice was from Robin Williams, remember that. And there's the part in the movie where, you know, the, the genie comes out and he does that thing, scenes and stuff. And uh, you remember, I, I hadn't remembered, I'm not too up to date on my genie lore, but there are, you know, he makes, he makes the thing, you can make three wishes, but then there are some rules. Remember those rules? You guys remember those rules? It doesn't, it doesn't matter for our text tonight. It really, really doesn't matter. You can't wish for more wishes. You can't wish for somebody to love you. And I don't. I think there was a third one. And I don't know what it was. Some of you may remember. I actually got online to look. Some of you, some of you know it. I got online to look, and, it, and it, it's actually the case that there are a ton of those rules, depending on where you get your genie lore from, that there are various rules, like you can't become a god, you can't, you can't wish to become a god, or some sort of omnipotent being, and there are, there are a lot of other rules. But anyway, I thought of that when, when I read this text. First Kings 3 is about this, this, this time when, I mean, the background is Solomon has just become king. He's relatively young, he's inexperienced as a leader, he's, you know, he's got a messed up family. Uh, you, Solomon's life is... His, his mother was Bathsheba, whom David got by stealing her from one of his best friends after having his best friend murdered because Bathsheba became pregnant while her husband, David's best friend, was off at war. That's, that's one aspect of the family. Um, Solomon had a brother, Amnon, who raped, his half-brother, who raped his sister Tamar Absalom, well, this was, you know, Absalom uh, then later had Amnon killed. These are all siblings of Solomon. It's a messed up family in a lot of ways. And, and Solomon, I think he comes to this point where his father David has reigned for about 40 years. And Solomon comes to this position and he, he has a feeling that anybody who thinks reasonably clearly would have at that moment, what in the world am I going to do with this? How, how am I going to rule over this people? What am I, what am I going to do? How is this going to happen? So God, God comes to him and he essentially says, Solomon, you can ask for whatever you want. Just, just ask. I mean, that's the background of the text. This is in the time of the, if, you're, if you guys are interested in Israelite history, this is the time of the United Kingdom. You know, you had the, the conquest of the land. They had judges for a few hundred years. And then Saul became king, reigned for 40 years. David became king, reigned about 40 years. And Solomon becomes king. He's going to reign about 40 years, and then the kingdom's going to divide, and things are going to go downhill from there. And a lot of that, a lot of that downfall is going to come because of foolish decisions that this man makes, Solomon makes, in his reign. So he's not going to live according to what he does in this chapter, unfortunately. But if you're with me in 1 Kings 3, I do want us to read a little bit of this. In fact, we're going to read it in stages, so, so, so don't read it all yet. If you would, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to the bulk of the story as we read through it tonight. But look at verse 5 with me. 1 Kings 3 and, and verse 5. It says, And give me and the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. Wouldn't you love to have that from God? You fell asleep tonight. You're in a pretty deep part of your sleep. And you get this vision from God. And you know it to be true. And God says, Just ask whatever you want. 
Implication being, you can have whatever you want. And, and that's what happens to Solomon here. Um, and Solomon, Solomon takes advantage of it, not in a selfish kind of way. In fact, I think you can look at the story and you can read it and learn some things from it. We're going to try our best to do that for the next little while tonight. So that's the time frame. That's who Solomon is. He's just become king. He's young, inexperienced. He had a good example in his father in some ways. David was a good king, but he had some pretty significant moral flaws too and some, some blind spots in his leadership. And Solomon had that to to kind of burden him down as well. Let's read verses 6 through the rest of that paragraph, actually down through verse, verse 10, I think, maybe through verse 9. Look at verse 6. And Solomon said, You have shown great, this is his response, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Here's the request. Give your servant, therefore, verse 9, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Let's stop there for a minute. That's a pretty remarkable thing that Solomon asked for this. I mean, the request there again is in verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. In other words, give me wisdom that I can discern good from evil, that I may be able to govern this people, this, this, your great people, that, that I may be able to do this. So it's, it's pretty amazing what he does. Let's talk about this for a minute. All right, let's think about this. Let's think, let's think about wisdom. Let's think about what it is. I'm going to give you a couple definitions. I and I'd love to, to know what you guys think about wisdom or what you think wisdom is. I guess the kind of cliche definition I heard that I remember from, from childhood is like the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is facts and wisdom is knowing how to apply those facts. You ever heard a definition like that? It's, it's, it's being able to take certain kinds of things that you know and then apply them to situations. I think that's a pretty good definition. Here's another one. This comes from, this comes from Charles Swindoll, as a matter of fact. Uh, but his brief definition was wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. So this would be a, a kind of a biblical religious definition. Think about it. The ability to see things from God's perspective. And I like that. I want to, we'll, we'll pause and think about this a bit. And I'll give you another one in a minute. But I want you to notice, first of all, just some things about this, about this wisdom. He says two, two, two words really. I want to dwell on for a minute. Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. So an understanding mind. What Solomon wants here is he wants the ability to see things from God's perspective. He wants, he wants a good perception. I like this quotation. To be wise. Listen to this. To be wise is to have your thoughts trained in a God-shaped view of the world so that you know what God wants even before you know what He says. That's from J.D. Greer. Do you hear that? I kind of like that. To have your thoughts trained in a God-shaped view of the world so that you know what God wants even before you know what He says. We're going to go a little farther with that in a minute. But, but it, I guess... If I may paraphrase that a bit, it's, it's being so in tune with God. It's being close enough to God where you sort of begin to be able to intuit what God would have you to do even when God hasn't spoken to that situation directly. And so it's, it's, it's learning 
to think like God thinks, to, to be so close to Him that you understand what He would want you to do, what He would do in that situation, what He would have you to do. And I, th I think that's pretty good. And that, that understanding, it's like Solomon says, help me to see things the way you see them. Help me to understand them the way you see them. I, I know you and I want them. We'd, we'd like to have them. So here's the second phrase or word in verse 9. And I said, said the latter part of this, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? That, that part, discern between good and evil. He is asking for the ability to discern what is right from what is wrong, specifically when the answer is not laid out clearly. Think, think about this for a minute. Um, it's, it's pretty easy when God tells you something clearly. The, the Bible's clear on some things. It's clear on some things. I remember a long time ago, I had this man make, make a statement to me. And he said that his, uh, he had cheated on his wife, and then he had married the woman he cheated with and divorced his wife, divorced his wife and then married her. And he said, this is a pretty good paraphrase of what he said. He said, well, the Lord brought this woman into my life. And I just knew it was what the Lord wanted me to do. And my, res you know, my, my response to that was, what? What are you, are you kidding me? You know, the, there, there are things that God has spoken to quite clearly. And, and you say, man, this is a black and white kind of thing. This is not something God doesn't lead you. That's not the way it works. You, got some sort of bad misunderstanding of what God's will is and what God has said. You know, so there, there are areas like that where you can say, okay, God has spoken to this. It's not one of those gray areas where I'm like, yeah, I don't really know how to advise you. It's, it's pretty clear. We don't struggle as much with those areas. What was it, the old saying, Mark Twain, Mark Twain, somebody asked me, well, what part of the Bible bother you? Or do, do those things you don't understand about the Bible bother you? And he said, no, it's not the things I don't understand about the Bible, it's the things I don't understand. And, and I think with us, sometimes it's not so much what, what the Bible says. We, when, when God speaks to an issue clearly, we understand a responsibility, but it's all those other issues. It's all the, it's all the gray areas. It's all those, all those situations that we get ourselves into, just we face as a matter of course, and we don't know exactly how to deal with them. The Bible's not clear on some things, and wisdom is where this comes in. Tim Keller puts it this way. Listen to this. Quote, wisdom is knowing how to navigate the realities of life when the rules don't help. End quote. How to navigate the realities of life when the rules don't help. That's wisdom. It's, it's, that's what Solomon's asking for. I, I, I want an understanding mind, and I want to know how to discern right from wrong. And I don't think Solomon is simply saying, I want to know the Bible better. Because he had, you know, what, what's called the Torah. He, he had that. He had, presumably, he had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Or at least he had a portion of it. He had probably at least the book of Deuteronomy, which is a summation. He, he had the law. I don't think Solomon is asking for God to help him understand that better or to remember it better. I think he's asking for something beyond that. I think what Solomon wants is, God, help me to know right from wrong when Deuteronomy doesn't speak to it directly. Help me have your mind and your ability to discern the right from the wrong in those areas. Don't you wish you had that? I mean, wouldn't that be pretty cool? Because that's what gives me and you most problems, I think. It's those areas where, man, 
I, you know, I know this is right and I know this is wrong, but I just don't know about, I don't know about this. Let me give you an example of this from the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 26.4, just listen to this. Verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Right? Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay. So I don't need to answer a foolish person according to his foolish ways. Because I don't want to be a fool. The next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. And verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. How in the world do I know the difference? How do I know when to answer him and when not to answer him? Well, wisdom. It's having the mind of God that helps me and you to discern in those situations when I need to answer the fool and when I don't need to answer the fool. And how I need to answer the fool when I do answer him. You see, see this? This is what Solomon wants. In fact, I think his posture here, his request for this, is the very opposite of what we, we mentioned this this morning with the fall of Genesis 3. Solomon's posture here is the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve had there. They wanted not to know God's will about what is right and wrong. They wanted the ability to make their own right and wrong. I will make what's right. I will make what's wrong. We will be gods. That's what Satan tempted them. And that's, what they, that's, why they, that's why they took the fruit, you know. It's the exact opposite of what Solomon. I, I don't want to make my own decisions about right and wrong. I want to know what you, you know to be right and wrong. That's wisdom. Now, look, if you're still with me, in verse, verse 9. This is what he asked for. I, I want to reflect for a minute on, on why he asks it. Um, and, he, and he says, this is really at the end of it, I think is the hint. So he asked for it. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. So let me give you maybe, maybe three things here briefly about this request. So he asked, not selfishly, but for the good of the people. So there are three ingredients to his prayer. Number one, he prays understanding that he is little. Look back up to verse 7. Uh, we read this. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. You know the surest way to get God not to answer your prayers is to come to God acting like thinking you know everything or that, you, that you're proud to, to come to God with an attitude in Luke. Luke's gospel account of the Pharisee who comes and he says, you know, God, I thank you that I'm this and I'm not that. I'm not like this guy and I do this and I do all this. Aren't you proud of me sort of attitude? The, the quickest way to get God to say no to your prayers is to come to him with that kind of attitude. But Solomon comes to him and says, I'm just a kid. I'm just like a kid. I don't know what's right or wrong. That's the, you come to God with that kind of posture, God listens. You come to him with, with this in your heart and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a Immature, sinful, and I, I'm blinded so often. Lord, I just, I just need you. It's, it's this attitude of utter dependence on God. It's the poor in spirit of Matthew 5. It's, it's being empty spiritually and knowing that you're completely dependent on Him. That's what he, he comes to Him with this kind of attitude. Number two, He prays recognizing that God's purposes are most important. God's purposes matter more than anything. Let's think about this. So often my prayers, maybe your prayers are like this too, are pretty short-sighted. I... I pray for my family. I pray for whatever's going on in my world, you know, in the media. Pray for, pray for the church here. You know, pray, pray for certain, certain things, certain people. But sometimes those 
probably the motivation behind those prayers circle, circle around back to, to me. Maybe, maybe you do that too. They kind of circle around my, my little world, my interest. Solomon doesn't do that so much. I mean, he, he is focused on himself here some. But what he states is, I want what's best for, for your people. Your, your, your people, this nation. I don't, I don't know how to guide them. I think there's something to be said here. If you come to God with humility, recognizing you don't have the answers, you need God more than anything. You come to God asking, this is the, not my will, but yours be done of, of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. This is it's coming to God and asking, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray that God's purposes would be made real and that God would be glorified and all that. It's, it's, it's praying not so much. There's nothing wrong with praying about our own things, all right? But I'm not saying that. Only that we need to get bigger than that. It needs to come back to God. Why do, I was thinking, I read this somewhere. But you know, like when praying, we pray for our kids. Why don't we pray for our kids? Why don't we pray for our faith, the kids to be faithful? Is there, is there some sort of selfish quality there that, you know, that, that I might be validated as a good father, a good mother, or, or, or whatever? Or do we pray for bigger reasons than that? that? That the name of God may be glorified, that you may be honored in all the earth. You know, it's, there's a different motivation there. Solomon directs it toward God. If God answered, let me ask you this. If God answered all the prayers that you prayed, right, today's day one of the new week, take the last seven days, all the prayers that you prayed last week from August 13th, August 19th, if all those prayers were, were answered at midnight tonight, the way that you prayed, what you asked for was granted by God. How many new people would be in the kingdom? How many, how many people who don't know Christ would know Him at midnight tonight? You know, how, what, what, what would the effect be on God's kingdom? Not, not our little kingdoms, you know? Again, there's nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for praying for your family. but Not, not just our little worlds, but, but God's kingdom throughout the earth. What would be different at midnight tonight if God answered every prayer you prayed for the last seven days? Number three, Solomon prays believing that God will do what he said. It's, it's amazing how often you find this in the Bible. He, he prays believing that God will do it. Um, back up, up in verse six, he basically says, uh, the implication is, Lord, you've, you've answered prayers in the past. This is what you've done for David, my father. I'm assuming that you're going to keep working with me. You're going to keep your word, in other words. Uh, you're, you're going to do what I'm asking you're going to help me guide this people because you're the one who put me in this position. You're the one who fulfilled the promise to my father. You put me here. You're going to answer it. And of course, that, that principle is all over the Bible. Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. James 1.5, if you ask, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will, he will, it will be given him. He, he will hear us. He will answer us. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I mean, these go on and on and on and on. They're, they're predicated on this conviction that God will answer the prayer. And so Solomon prays. He prays humbly. He prays according to God's purpose. And he prays believing that God's going to do it. And I think that's an important part of this. And there's certainly some things we can, we can learn from that. I want to read you something here while we're talking about this subject. James chapter 1, we're talking about prayer, and this is something I think we learn about prayer from Solomon. James 1, 
Listen to this. I mentioned uh, one of these verses here. but Verse 5. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. There's some things there that God says about prayer. And He says He gives to all. God doesn't discriminate between people. He gives individually. He cares about you. If any person, this is not some generic someone, but it's specifically God, God cares about you. And then God gives generously to all without reproach. You don't have to worry that when you come to God and you say, you know, God, I, I, I really want this or I need this or I'm struggling with this. Will you help me deal with this? Help me know what's right, what's wrong. You don't have to worry about God sitting you down for a nice little you're so immature chat before God responds. You know, you don't have to worry about God fussing at you for a little while. And then saying, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'll answer your prayer. But let me tell you something. You are such, you don't have to worry about that. God, God answers generously. It's, it's a beautiful image of God that James sets, um, sets forth. But notice he says this. Um, he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. I struggle with that. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Don't doubt. Just ask in faith without doubting. Um, he says, don't be double-minded and unstable. Don't, don't, um, don't resist God. Don't be disobedient to God. I think what James is getting at here is when we pray confident that he's going to answer, we don't need to have in our hearts this attitude of, you know, I probably will do what you say. Pray for God to open a door and He opens the door. If it's a clear answer from God, there ought not be this, well, I really wasn't sure. I just wanted to see what you were going to say. That's really not, not what I wanted. Don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable. Be, be obedient to God. One more passage in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 about, about this topic. This is one you've heard many times before probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Listen, listen to that again. Three things He says. Trust in the Lord with all your might, all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. So three things. Trust, don't lean, acknowledge Him. And then the comma. It's actually not the first comma of the sentence, but it's the most important comma. Comma, and he will make straight your paths. Listen to this. <clears throat> I think most of the time we worry about the part after the comma more than we do the other part. We worry that God's not going to make straight the paths. We worry, we, we don't fully trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do here. And really what we ought to do is we ought not worry about the part after the comma. We ought to worry about the part before the comma. We ought to make sure we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't lean on our understanding. And we, we, in all our ways, acknowledge Him. You see what he's saying here? Trust in Him with all your heart. You just, this, imagine how much stress this would take out of your life if you did this. If you trust in God with all your heart. I mean, really. How much, how much stress would that take away from your life? If you didn't lean on your own understanding. Lord, I have no, no clue what to do. You know, I'm, 
I'm immature spiritually, whatever. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't do this myself. You acknowledge him in all your ways. God says, he, I will make straight your paths. What, what if he did that? I like J.D. Greer has this, he calls it, I'm a sheep prayer. He says this, this is a prayer he likes to pray. I think this is pretty good. Uh, God, in your word, you've told me that I'm a sheep and sheep are idiots. And if I'm a sheep, I don't have the ability to figure out what I should do. But you are a great shepherd and I trust in your ability to guide me. So give me wisdom to know what to do in this situation. And if I'm too dumb to recognize it, guide me in the background. I'm going to do everything I know you want me to do and trust that you're making my paths straight. That's what he calls I'm a sheep prayer. And he says this. And then I make the best decision I know how to make and trust that God has answered my prayer and I don't stress. What do you think about that? It sounds good, doesn't it? Just to say to the Lord, I'm a sheep. Sheep are dumb. I don't lean on my own understanding because I'm a sheep. Sheep don't know what to do. Sheep will kill themselves, give it a chance. They, they sometimes run around the pasture looking for ways to die. You've heard about sheep, right? I, don't lean on your own understanding. You have to trust in the shepherd. Acknowledge your dependence on the shepherd. And then, and then at least he says, he does that, and then he doesn't stress. In other words, he doesn't worry about the part after the comma. He just does the part before the comma, and he knows God will take care of the rest. Don't stress over it. We're talking about wisdom here, you know, from 1 Kings 3. And I'm going to go back to what we said a, a few minutes ago about, about wisdom. It's, uh, I guess this would, this would be something we ought to pray for tonight, don't you think? Imagine how much this would solve. If we had Solomon's attitude, God answered us the way he answered Solomon. It's just, Lord, you know, I want to know the Bible better. But that's not what Solomon's asking for. You know, we ought to study our Bibles. We ought to memorize Scripture. We ought to spend time in the Word. But we also need more than that. We need for God to work in us so that we can learn Him well enough that we know how He thinks about certain situations. And so when we're faced with a financial situation, we're faced with making a job change, accept the job or not. We're faced with, you know, dating this person, not dating this person, marry this person, not marry this person. We're, we're, we're relational conflict, conflict at home, whatever we're dealing with. Lord, I don't see the verse. I don't see the verse that answers. Do you, know, do you marry this person or not? Do you date this person or not? Do you, do you take this job or not? Where's the verse, Lord? It's not there. But what Solomon is asking for is, help me to have your mind on this. And help me to discern the right path from the wrong path. Help me to have your, your will. And I, and I think that, you know, the answers to this, how do you get this? Because the number one answer from this text is, how do, how do you get this kind of wisdom? Ask for it. So what Solomon did is what James says. If anybody lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all people generously. He doesn't reproach you and so on. First thing you do, and I hope every one of you will do this tonight. I hope you will pray that God will give you wisdom. He will give you an understanding mind. He'll help you to discern right from wrong. That He will help you not just know the Bible, but know His mind so that you know how to think like He thinks. You pray for it. God gives generously. But you also don't deny the other ways that God gives. God gives through Bible study. 
I mean, you learn the mind of God as you learn the Word of God. And so the more you learn about the Word of God, the more you know the mind of God, the more you know how God thinks about situations, you know? So you spend time praying, asking God. You spend time studying the Word. And then you spend time with people of wisdom. You, you talk to people who are wise. I think I've mentioned to you before, I found my way over to Joe and Claire's house a few times over the years. Because they've walked with the Lord a long time. They've read the Bible a lot. They've dealt with situations over and over again. I think you spend time with people. You know, you've got somebody you can call, right? Some people that you can hang out with. People who are, who are wise, who study the Bible and live with the Lord. It's not just Bible knowledge, though. I mean, you know, there are lots of people who know a lot about the Bible, but they're not very wise because they haven't really walked with the Lord. You're, you're wanting somebody who knows Scripture, but knows the author of Scripture and walks with the author of Scripture. That's, that's what you want. You want to spend time... You want to spend time with people like, like that. I want to close uh, quickly with God's answer. And it's in verses 10 through 13. So it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So God says, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to give it to you. This, you know, this, this reminds me of, maybe it reminds you as well, of, of this principle you've heard from different people before. I've heard it from... I know, I think it, ultimately, at least this, this version of it goes, goes back to C.S. Lewis, but, but lots of people have said something like this. Let me read you just a paragraph from C.S. Lewis. And then I'm going to read a different place where he puts it a little bit more simply than this. But let's listen to this. Here's the gist of it before I read this. The gist of it is, no, I'm going to read it first. All right, listen. This is from God the Dot. He says, the woman who makes the dog, makes the dog the center of her life, loses in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. Or he says something about alcohol here. Don't, don't get bogged down in the alcohol comment, all right? But, but you need to hear it because of the principle behind it. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It is a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman, glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and so arrange your life, it is sometimes feasible, that you will have nothing to do but contemplate her and what happens. You see what he's saying? The, the, the woman who makes the dog the center of her life loses because she loses her usefulness and she even loses the proper pleasure of the, of the dog's company. And then, then he goes on and he says, if you make a woman, and he's talking to a man here, if you make a woman the glorious, you know, this, this, your, your, everything that you just obsess over, it's your, your God, you know, then you lose the pleasure of being with the woman. He goes on and he says, 
Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or partial good to a total good involves a loss of a small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. And that's, you know, C.S. Lewis way of putting things. It's kind of something you have to read a few times and sit with for a little bit. He puts it a little bit more simply in a letter that he wrote in April of 1951. Here it is. Just, uh, just uh, two sentences. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasure of food at its best when we are being greedy. End quote. You see what he's getting at? If you make happiness your goal, if you make even family, children, marriage your primary goal, if you make anything can be something completely good, if you make that your goal, you will usually miss out on, on that because you're wrapped up in that thing and then you lose the enjoyment of that thing you never even get it. If you make second things your first thing, you won't get either the first thing or the second things. But if you make the first thing the first thing, and that is God, pursuing God, if you make that the first things, then oftentimes God will throw in the second things. So if you pursue God, if you pursue wisdom, God will often bless us with contentment and opportunities and all sorts of blessings. But if you pursue those second things, you'll often miss out on God and the things which you pursue. Uh, this reminded me of that. You know, and I think that's what happens here with Solomon. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for a lot of things. But instead, he asked for God, essentially. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to throw in some other things too. And that's the way life works. I think this is a great story, you know. We're going to go on um, for, I think, three, three Sunday nights and, and look at what happens after this. So you may be thinking, and as I've wrestled with this before, I know what happens after this. So how do you tie in this prayer and what God says with what Solomon later does? And those are things we'll wrestle with later on. But I hope, let me close this just with a, just a practical word. Um, I'm going to pray for us now, and I, I hope that you will pray as well tonight, at some point before you go to bed, and maybe pray with your, if you're, if you're a parent, pray with your children, pray with your family, uh, pray with your spouse, or just pray on your own. Pray that God will give you Himself, that He will give you wisdom, that He will give you understanding and discernment. And God answers that prayer. Ask it humbly. Ask it for, for God's glory, not for your own. Um, ask it believing that He'll answer. And if I read the Bible right, if I understand this right, God will answer that prayer. Let's pray, and then I'll um, extend the invitation. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are but children. We, we're sheep. We are so often left our own devices. It's harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. And we don't know the right way. But we're thankful that we can trust in you and that you do bless us when we submit to you. Help us to, help us to pursue first things, Lord. Help us to chase after you. And not to chase after these other things that, though they may be good, they're not the good thing. And uh, just help us to have wisdom, understanding, and discernment. Help us to read your word, to learn your mind. Help us to hang out with wise people and to learn from them. 
I just pray you'll have your way with us so that your name may be glorified in all the earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not a Christian, uh, we do invite you to come tonight to uh, confess Jesus as your Savior and put him on in baptism. And we would be thrilled to join in with you in that, to participate, to witness that with you this evening. If you need to ask for prayers from the church family here, we're here for you as well. Let's stand and sing this song.